No, it's exciting to be a part of today's worship experience. And um, I want to invite you to turn open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In your pew Bible, it's uh, page 1074. 1074. And I want you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. We're going to begin here in verse uh, 25. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Get that. The other prisoners were listening to them. Do you realize the world around us is watching us? They're listening to us. And this is an opportunity that all of us have, even as Paul and Silas are in prison. Verse 26, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. In that day, if a, if a guard failed in his duty to keep the prisoners locked up, they would pay with their lives. So he was fearful. It says there in verse 28, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Father, this is your word. What a tremendous miracle in the early church that you would send that earthquake, relieving uh, Paul and Silas of their chains, a metaphor for what it's like for us as people in this world who are shackled to a life of sin and separation from you. But Lord, how beautifully you use that event to spread your good news that Jesus saves. That night, that Philippian jailer's life changed. He and his whole household, even as these candidates for baptism are now part of our church family, Lord, they rejoice. They're filled with joy because they're now part of your family. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, the first thing that I want to say is that it really is all about belief. You notice in the waters of baptism, I asked each and every one of them, do you believe, do you trust that Jesus Christ 
is your personal Savior and Lord. Yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world. But we must do the very basic thing, and that is to believe. What must I do to be saved is the simple question that this Philippian jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? The answer was simple and yet profound. Simple in the fact that it really caused no response other than to believe, to trust, to have faith. He said, they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Romans chapter 10, Paul, who is here, you know, in the Philippian jail, he would later write to the church in Rome. And he said this in chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He then goes on to quote an Old Testament passage where it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts chapter 4, several chapters before this particular passage, we learn from uh, Peter Salvation is found in no one else. You know, the world today wants to say there are many ways to God. There are many ways to heaven. But the Bible is unequivocal. The Bible does not waver. The Bible says that there is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. We are all familiar with the verse of Scripture that most people, even if they're not Christians, they know. It's John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's no amount of work that you and I can do. The chasm is too deep. The chasm is too wide. The world wants to say, if I do this and this and this, then I will make myself acceptable to God. But we know in this church we understand that the Bible's very clear. There is no amount of work. There is no amount of effort. There is no way in which we can come into a right relationship with God except through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the chasm is so wide that nothing that you think you can do can cross you over from death into life. The one thing that spans that great chasm is the cross of Jesus Christ. When he opened up his arms on the cross, Jesus was saying, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your, your trials. Rest from your tribulations. Rest from all of the effort that you've been putting into it. Testimony after testimony after testimony this morning, we heard of every one of them was trying to find their way. And God himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. God is 100% the saver. I want to make sure everyone in this congregation knows there is nothing you and I can do 
that will get us into a right relationship with God. God is the one who regenerates. The agency through which we get that, that, that regeneration is called faith. It is a gift. It is a free gift. In Romans chapter 6, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who gives us life and life eternal. He is the one who regenerates us. Christ's death provided the atonement. He provided the way, but it is his resurrection that gives us the power to have new life. And so you and I this morning can understand why baptism really matters. You see, because this Philippian jailer went from belief to then being baptized. Look at what it says there in verse 33. At, the, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and his family were baptized. He and his family were baptized. Belief leads to baptism. That is always the order in Scripture. That's why this church believes in believer's baptism. You believe in Jesus Christ, and then you are baptized into his body. This is the idea of Romans chapter 6. Because we have been buried with him, we will be raised with him to walk in newness of life. And so the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized that night. The word baptist, uh, baptize means baptizo. It's the Greek word baptizo. And it literally means to immerse. To immerse underneath the surface. So if you think about it, when you bury someone, you bury them below the surface of the ground. In the same way, when we baptize someone, they go below. The, did you all go below the surface of the water? Some of you fought it, but I kept you down, right? <laughs> And the key is, is that when, when you go below the surface of the water, it does truly represent being buried with Christ, being buried to the old life that you once lived. You see, what a beautiful symbol. But as you come up out of the water, it's like a resurrection. It's like a, resur a new life. And that's what all of these folks in front row have experienced here today, new life. The means is by water, the mode is by immersion, and the meaning is death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism was established for one reason and one reason only. If you go back and you read the narrative in Matthew chapter 4, you'll learn why Jesus was baptized. It's interesting. Most of us in this room would think, why would Jesus need to be baptized? He is, after all, the son of the living God. He is the second person of the Trinity. Why would he need to be baptized? And even John the Baptist asked him that very question. Well, I sh you should be baptizing me, is what John the Baptist said. And what did Jesus reply? This is to fulfill all righteousness. You understand that when we enter into the waters of baptism, we are publicly declaring ourselves as part of the body of Jesus Christ. We are becoming one with him. And when you become one with him, then he is secure because the Father has held him secure, and because he is secure, you are secure. This is the security of our salvation. 
And the ultimate thing is, is that none of us is righteous before God, but we are given the righteousness of Christ because we are now part of his body. Amen? Amen. This is the beauty of what it means to be a Christian. Most of the world wants to look at your life and make judgments about your life and how it doesn't measure up. The point is, is that we, we should continue to grow in our being more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Every testimony had some element of growth, spiritual growth and development. And I would tell you that one of the most mature Christians in this room will tell you that he has not arrived. We're all on a journey. We're all on a pilgrimage. We are all on a race to be run. And we will continue to get better and better and better. But one day, one day, we will be glorified. It says in Romans chapter 8 that we will be made into his image. Into the image of Jesus Christ. The perfect image. The perfect life. But until then, we work, we work, we work. Because salvation doesn't come by work. But after we are saved, we have work to do. This church has a lot of work to do. The Trinity is represented at Jesus' baptism. And then we see in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember the story of how he was riding on his chariot and Philip comes alongside the chariot? God had sent Philip down there to share with him how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. And the Ethiopian eunuch is reading out of Isaiah chapter 53. And when he's reading chapter 53, he's like, who, who is this that he's talking about? And beginning with that same passage Philip shared with him, oh, this person that is being referred to in Isaiah chapter 53, by the way, written 750 years before Jesus was born. Written 750 years before Jesus was born. And Philip said, that is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the Ethiopian eunuch believed and then said, here, here is some water. Is there any reason why I should not be baptized? And at that moment, that Ethiopian eunuch went down into those waters of baptism, publicly declaring his faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, it's all about two things, belief and baptism. Now, baptism doesn't save you, let me be clear. But baptism is an outward symbol of what has already transpired in the heart of the believer. Baptism is a public confession of your faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is a way in which you say, I want to publicly join this local body of believers in carrying out the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commandments. And so that is what we've done today. And I'm super excited because we've been able to celebrate today. But there's another ordinance as well. And today we get to celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper. Because it's a way for us as well to identify with Jesus Christ. 
And so we are going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want to read these verses for us. And if you have not yet received your uh, elements uh, at either one of the doors that you came into, you can go and get them now because we will be observing the Lord's Supper. But I want to make sure everyone understands that the Lord's Supper is for the family of God. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you've been baptized into his family, then you can partake with us here of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper uh, is an institution given by Jesus Christ on the night before he was betrayed and died. And it was carried on into the new church when Paul here addresses the Corinthians in their worship. He says in chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, these words, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so baptism is the first ordinance, and the Lord's Supper is the second ordinance. And today, all of us who are in Christ are invited to the supper table of Jesus Christ, to the Lord's Supper. So let me pray a prayer, and then I'll come down front, and I will institute the Lord's Supper. And then we'll sing a hymn and we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you for these two ordinances that you have given us in your holy scripture. The ordinance of baptism, which we have already observed today, as well as the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I'm so grateful to be able to share this very first Lord's Supper with these eight people, with their family not too far away. Lord, I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to remember Christ's death until you come in your kingdom again. Father, we take this seriously. We understand what it represents, your body that has been given for us and your blood that was shed on the cross for our sin. Father, thank you for this ordinance and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.